Talk to my friend Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. One of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As diehard conservative. I'm to this guy for wisdom. hear from in your media sources. Now, this, of course, began with an alleged email from John Gruden, who was the head coach for the Las Vegas Raiders, uh, in which he called, uh, well, a, a gentleman named Damaris Smith. He's a black man, and he was uh, the National Football League Players Association's executive director. Now, in the email, he calls him Dumboris Smith. And he says, Dumboris Smith has lips the size of Michelin tires. And that was just the first shot fired from the media back on Gruden, trying to accuse him of a racist comment. Now, there's nothing racist about that comment. He's describing someone's physical appearance. So they are projecting racism on this situation, of course, to pro- propel this this narrative they've been spinning for nearly a decade now, that the NFL is a racist place, there's too many white owners, uh, and so on and so forth, which is outrageous. You know, if you play football, you live your life mainly around African-American black athletes because the majority of the NFL is black athletes. But they spun this, and then, but this wasn't even enough to break uh, John Gruden and get him to bend the knee and resign. Or to have him villainized. They had to dig through additional emails to accuse him of homophobia, uh, of being misogynistic. But before we get into that, I want to explain what's actually outrageous that needs to be talked about. Because these emails, John Gruden is the victim here. He was not the subject of an investigation that brought forth these old emails. Now, a law firm was paid to investigate the Washington football team. That's where this began. This was actually an investigation into the Washington football team. You know, the former Redskins. (laughs) So, Dan Snyder is the owner of the former Washington Redskins. And yet, only Gruden's emails come out of this investigation that he wasn't even the subject of. Very strange, is it not? Now, this is according to the Wall Street Journal. The NFL reviewed 650,000 emails during its investigation into the Washington football team's workplace culture. Now, that's like, that's nearly as many illegal immigrants have poured into this border over the past 10 months. 650,000 emails. That's a lot of illegal Im- I mean, that's a lot of uh, emails. So why is it that after going through these 650,000 emails that were intended to investigate scandals and problems with the culture, workplace culture of the 
Washington Redskins, I mean the the uh, uh, Washington football team, why is it that they're only putting forward these emails that are John Gruden's, who had nothing to do with that investigation whatsoever? Now, some of the sports world are saying, well, you know, John Gruden, he has this albatross 10-year, $100 million record contract to coach the Raiders until 2028. Are they trying to get out from under this? Or do they need a fall guy? A fall guy to try and divert everyone's attention away from the Washington football team's egregious, egregious culture and their locker rooms and organization. Because Dan Snyder was the subject of the Washington investigation. It was not John Gruden. And we don't have any Snyder emails. So 650,000 emails, are we supposed to believe that of those, there's nothing that paints the ownership of the Washington football team in in a bad light? There's nothing else that's detrimental to any of these other individuals, only John Gruden? I mean, from the Washington Post, one of the allegations claimed that the Washington football team, they made a secret nude video of cheerleaders. And yet, John Gruden is the one who has been forced to resign. Now, we're still just scratching the surface because, you know, I look at things through a political lens. Because everything that is happening in this country is through a political lens, a political agenda and objective of making everything woke. Which means, well, destroying everything. Destroying not only our institutions, but those revered traditions. To force a political agenda down our throats, whether it's watching football or baseball or hockey. You know, they've, they've nearly con- completed their Marxist takeover of our schools, of our bureaucracy, of our federal government. And so anyway, I just want to address the first, first issue. All right, and I've got a lot of audio here because I want to prove how sick and perverted this is. We are all just one word, one email away from the destruction of our lives by the left. John Gruden, by the way, this is just an aside. You can look it up. He is a registered Republican. But he's never made politics an issue in terms of how he conducts himself on the football field. You know, like the giants of old, you know, American citizens, they compartmentalized. Politics had no place in football. And that's part of the problem, too. John Gruden, in many ways, you could argue if you look back at his career since 2018 when he was reinstalled, rehired as the head coach in 2018 of the Raiders. Well, he hasn't been the wokest coach. So there's two things happening here. One seems to be like some kind of a personal attack against John Gruden, against individuals in ownership who may have either wanted to punish the Raiders or get rid of John Gruden whether it's his contract or something else, or not liking the guy. But the other is a political agenda because now we have in the mainstream again, we've seen this ebb and flow, right? We had Kaepernick. We had to fight back that Marxist cancer on the football field. You know, I mean, he was, he was anathema to teams. He was a second-rate quarterback, and he didn't not get hired because of some kind of a racist attack. There are plenty of 
black individuals from Patrick, Patrick Mahomes and Dak Prescott and so on and so forth that are wonderful quarterbacks. But, you know, nobody hired him because he was a, 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 an illness to the locker rooms. Nobody wants to deal with that. You're trying to win football games. But first, I want to play this insulting cry fest that's worthy of a Razzie Award. The Razzie Awards are, you know, for the worst performance in a film. Well, I want you to hear a... Uh, <laughs> I want you to hear this first. I'm going to play the clip, and we've got many clips to play today to address this, but I think this is important because it has wide-scale ramifications for the rest of the country, and it means more than what it means just to the ruination of John Gruden. To the number one goal, and that's to win the championship. And for us to be moving back and not forward in 21st century, like I said, man, National Football League, this hurts me. The clock is ticking, man. I'm okay. sorry. No. The clock is ticking, man. Man, we're going back in time and not forward, even though we're going back 10 years in these emails from John Gruden to, to try and destroy him. But, man, the clock is ticking on us in this society, man. The clock is ticking. We are running out of time to ruin the NFL and make it Marxist transformation complete, man. Oh, dear Lord. So that's Randy Moss, of course. Um, uh, he is a, 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 a well, one of the greatest uh, wide receivers of all time. He spent a season or two with the Raiders. But there he is. Um feigning tears nearly because John Gruden talked about a black man's large lips. Uh, so I would, I would ask Randy Moss to listen to this clip uh, and ask him if he demands the same thing or has the same to say about going back in time with these terrible racist allegations. Uh, I want you to hear Spike Lee talking about Donald Trump first. Would you want to sit down with Donald Trump? No. And have a, a conversation. I don't. I, I, I'm calling, but I don't use his name either. Hmm. Agent Orange. That, that's what you <laughs> got it from Buster Rhymes. Shout out to Brooklyn Buster. <laughs> do you do you consider him your president? No. Might be Putin. <laughs> do you? <laughs> Agent Orange, man. <laughs> So there's uh, Spike Lee, of course, making terrible racist allegations, it seems, because he is referring to Donald Trump's uh, skin tone, calling him Agent Orange. I mean, we're going back in time here with Spike Lee. Looking back at what Spike Lee had to say, Spike Lee must be canceled as well because uh, he is guilty of absolute overt racism, talking about the color of Donald Trump's skin, Agent Orange. But let's not stop there. In comedy, we have Eddie Murphy. Now, Eddie Murphy uh, is, a, is a widespread, obvious... You'll hear how racist he is towards white individuals. Eddie Murphy, um, his career should have ended long ago because um, he thinks it's funny. He thinks it's funny to talk about uh, Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger is a white person, of course. And there's no place for this in society. No place for comedy anymore. Uh, no place for, for any kind of description. No place for saying anything that... Well, I disagree with. No place for saying anything at all. You should just keep your mouth shut because no matter what you say, I'm going to destroy you and find a way to, to twist it and pervert it. But here is uh, here's a little comedy routine from many, many years ago from Eddie Murphy. Mick Jagger's lips so big, black people be going, you got some big ass lips. So there is Eddie Murphy. There is Eddie Murphy talking about a white man's big, you know what, lips. I mean, I don't know why the sky didn't fall back then. Uh, you know, when John Gruden describes a black man's lips as big, the world is ending and we're going back in time towards slavery. 
But uh, when Eddie Murphy describes Mick Jagger's lips as being so big they make black people jealous, well, I, I don't know. Is that moving us forward? I have no answers to this. Because, of course, there are no answers. This is absolutely insane. This is absolutely ridiculous. This is part of this woke culture, this cancel culture, that isn't built on any kind of reality or standard. It's a double standard. It's a standard that no one can even meet. You know, if you went through the emails of every congressman, of every public servant, of every NFL coach, of every NFL player, their text messages, well, we could engage in a game of battle royale. And I wonder how many would be standing. I wonder how many wouldn't have said something at a minimum that at least, you know, could be construed or misconstrued, I should say, uh, to paint them in a bad light. And of course, I'm so sick of this Randy Moss crap and all these people saying how hurt they are by this. These emails didn't hurt anyone. They didn't even know about them until today. They had no impact on their lives whatsoever. And yet today, years after these emails were even written, now all of a sudden they're so offended, so hurt by a word. You know, these people are soft pansies. I mean, it's worse than that. It's not really about that. It's just about finding a means to destroy someone and cancel them and inflict pain and damage on their enemies and opponents. But really, you know, if somebody called me a cracker, I could care less. I'm not so weak. I'm not so wobbly-kneed. I'm not such a pansy that I care what anyone would say anyway. It doesn't hurt me. As long as you don't treat me a certain way, as long as you don't abuse me, if you say something in private about me, I mean, come on, get over it. The guy's got big lips, like Mick Jagger. So here we go. You know, dumb Boris Smith has Mick Jagger lips. How about that? Is that appropriate? Mick Jagger lips, folks. But to continue along this, this trend here. So we know, of course, that that wasn't an issue. But then they get into, into uh, other emails of his. Now, we haven't seen the complete emails, by the way. We have no context whatsoever for this. All we have is the New York Times... Uh, who, well, they've detailed these emails, and they don't give any context. They don't provide the full emails. They just pull out some snippets here and there to make the case that John Gruden is homophobic, misogynistic, and that this is also common for who? Well, white players in the NFL. That's the allegation, really, that's under the surface. It's that white owners, white uh, uh, head coaches, they are racist. They are homophobic and misogynistic. So, speaking of that, by the way, before I get into that, I want to play a couple other clips because uh, let's let's just go with, uh, with, with Stephen A. Smith, who recently, he still is employed, by the way, but he said far more egregious things than John Gruden has ever said in his career. Here's Stephen A. Smith. I'm not taking anything away from Otani. I know what he's doing on the field. I know it's nothing short of spectacular. And I understand that baseball is an international sport itself in terms of participation. But when you talk about an audience gravitating to the tube or to the ballpark to actually watch you, okay, I don't think it helps that the number one face is a dude that needs an interpreter so you can understand what well, the hell he's English saying a, in this helpful. country. And that's what I'm trying to say. And that's what Stephen A. Smith is trying to say, don't you know? Otani 
a Japanese baseball player, one of the greatest baseball players at present, well, he just can't be the face of the uh, of Major League Baseball because the guy needs an interpreter. He's Japanese. I understand that it's a, an international sports with a big audience, but in America, we need American faces. American faces to lead the baseball association and these teams. He can't be the face because he's Japanese. I mean, he said that on live television, on his show in front of a national audience. Now, Gruden sent an email, and an email that just resurfaced recently that didn't harm anyone. It wasn't an issue in the past. Now it's becoming an issue. But what did Stephen A. Smith, what was his fate? Well, he issued an apology. Oh, I'm sorry that I said this. It was insensitive. As a person of color, I should be more sensitive to these other minority communities. And guess what? He gets a pass. He's still employed, gainfully employed. This is what's wrong with society. You know, if we want to play by these rules, let's play by them, but let's apply them across the board. And none of these people will have jobs. But this mob-like mentality in which only certain individuals are punished and the crimes, I mean, there's no justification for this. What Stephen A. Smith just did was far more harmful and wide-reaching than what Gruden did in a private capacity, but Stephen A. Smith is still employed. And that's what's wrong. But I got one more for you here. Let's play Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather unleashed a profanity-laced racist and homophobic rant against Manny Pacquiao. The tirade made in a live internet video overnight comes as Pacquiao is promoting a November 13th fight at Cowboy Stadium against Antonio Margarito instead of Mayweather, who has refused to agree to a fight with Pacquiao after several rounds of failed negotiations. Here's a portion of Mayweather's comments in which he also repeats his claim that Pacquiao uses performance-enhancing drugs. I'm on vacation for about, about a year. About a year, as soon as I come off vacation, then, you know, we're going to cook that little young <laughs> so, so the fans ain't got to worry about me fighting the midget. Once I keep the midget, I don't want y'all to jump on my So y'all better jump on, y'all better get on the bandwagon right now. Because once I stomp the midget, I'm going to make that motherfucker cook uh, a sushi roll. And that was Floyd Mayweather many, many years ago, who went on, of course, to fight in additional fights and enrich himself and make tons of money fighting in Las Vegas. Uh, But here he is. I'm going to cook that yellow, you know what? Yeah, midget. I'm going to make me a sushi roll and cook me rice. I mean, unbelievable. I mean, the racism expressed by Floyd Mayweather, a black man, uh, towards, (laughs) towards, towards an opponent... Calling him yellow? Calling him a midget? I mean, how many groups did Floyd Mayweather there offend in society? And yet, there were no repercussions for that either. Just, you know, slight condemnation from the media. But, you know, it's the it's the boxing culture. You know, you jab your enemies. You build up this, uh, this energy. You go on the attack. It's part of the culture and so on and so forth. And so Floyd Mayweather suffered no repercussions. But I want to read a little bit about the other comments that Gruden made, apparently in emails. Now, again, I want to reiterate, we haven't seen any of these full emails. These are just cherry-picked comments, and we we have to trust the media that is just telling us, well, this is what he said, uh, but there's no context whatsoever. So Gruden, apparently, in these emails, criticized President Obama during his re-election campaign in 2012, as well as then-Vice President Joseph Biden whom Gruden called a nervous, clueless, 
pansy, except he used a different word than pansy. And he used similar words to describe Goodell and DeMaurice Smith, the executive director of the NFL Players Association, which we already talked about. So these emails, by the way, he wasn't a head coach at the time. At the time, he was working for ESPN. And uh, he criticized Smith's intelligence, used a racist trope to describe his face. That's what we talked about. This is how they're describing it, a racist trope. It was not a racist trope. And um, so taken together, the emails provide an unvarnished look into the clubby culture of one NFL circle of peers, where white male decision makers felt comfortable sharing pornographic images, deriding the league policies, and jocular sharing homophobic language. There's no pornographic images here with him. Anyway, let's just keep going with this. In the exchanges, Gruden used his personal email account while Allen, uh, Allen is, uh, let's see. Um, well, let's keep going. So they wrote from his team account. In some cases, Allen initiated the conversations and Gruden chimed in, while in other cases, they trade vulgar comments several times. Uh, so these get shared between different people. Um, you know, bear with me. We're going through this article. Some of this isn't relevant. I just want to get to the the, the main gist of this. Um, let's see. Deedly deet. Uh, I mean, th- these are all out of context. They say, oh, Alan Gruden mocked Caitlyn Jenner, who received an award from ESPN in 2015 after she transitioned. Gruden and Alan criticized a congressional bill that aimed to force the Washington franchise to change its name which the team stopped using last year. Here's the thing. Here we go. Gruden is not woke. And so, I mean, Gruden's not basically allowed, if you don't have an opinion that goes with the system, uh, you're going to be destroyed. And that's really what this comes down to at the end of the day. But, so he, he you know, he, he attacks Biden and calls him nervous, clueless. Apparently he used the word, the F word, you know, you know what that word is, a bundle of sticks, it used to mean. But but I want to play one more thing here because he's canceled in addition because apparently he made homophobic, used a homophobic word. And I got to tell you, by the way, you know, society changes and and the way we we view certain terms changes as well. I went to an all male college preparatory school in high school. And that word was used on the football field. And soccer locker rooms. And I don't need to sit here and say, oh, I'm not justifying it. Who cares? I'm just saying that that is common practice. Everyone knows it. Uh, and in fact, you know, the Raiders had the one of the first uh, gay athletes on their team come out. And this individual said, uh, this is uh, O'Callaghan, by the way. He says it doesn't matter when he said the F word or used homophobic slurs. It's never okay. My hope is that he's educated himself since then to know better. But part of it isn't surprising. I used to hear no homo type comments in the NFL and slurs in locker rooms growing up. If we dug through other coaches' trash, it'd be interesting to see what we'd find. Well, of course. At my all-male college preparatory school, there were, there were friends of mine that came out later as gay who used the F word themselves. They joked about that word. They used it commonplace every day. Because in high school, at the time, back in 2001 to 2005, that was used. And used not only by 
the, the, the public at large in a high school setting, but by gay individuals themselves. And so let's not pretend that, oh, we're so offended. He used this word back then. I mean, Barack Obama opposed gay marriage. That didn't get passed until 2015. We've seen a cultural shift take place. And most of these emails in which he used that language were back when that culture was, was prevalent. But if, if, Josh, if John Gruden is going to be fired because he used the F word, how about Caitlin over at CNN? I want to play this clip because she's actually since been promoted. But this is a uh, this is a uh, Caitlin Collins. Uh, she worked for CNN, and they discovered uh, via, I believe, Twitter. She had used the F word herself. Now listen to her, and she got a promotion. CNN reporter Caitlin Collins has apologized for using homophobic slurs in tweets that resurfaced on Sunday. In the tweets dated back to 2011, Collins used the word f in response to another tweet, and also tweeted to another user that she didn't know if I want a room with a lesbian. On Sunday night, Collins tweeted that the messages were sent back when she was in college and that she regretted being immature and using that sort of language. When I was in college, I used ignorant language in a few tweets to my friends, Collins tweeted. It was immature, but it doesn't represent the way I feel at all. I regret it and apologize. Now, what do all of these individuals who issued apologies and were forgiven have in common? Well, they're all leftist liberal Democrats. That is the truth. If you are a leftist in this country, this is the leftist privilege. You can say and get away with anything you want. But if you are, for example, a white man who is not woke, who does not embrace the totalitarian left and their march to destroy and sully uh, everything in this country, then you will be destroyed. I mean, Ralph Northam, who is still the, the, the governor of Virginia, you know, remember this, a photo emerged of him. He was either wearing a KKK outfit or was the one in blackface. I don't remember which one he was, but this photo surfaced and he was forgiven. He apologized, just like Caitlin Collins. Oh, I'm sorry. It was back in the past. I didn't mean it. It was insensitive. He's still the governor. Joe Biden, if you, ain't, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. You know, he says you can't go into a 7-Eleven and not, you know, meet an Indian accent. You know, if, if, if we desegregate or whatever, you know, I don't want my kids to be in a racial jungle. Joe Biden has said racist things time and time again. Barack Obama, he disparaged an entire swath of white Americans in rural America when he said that, you know, oh, well, they're acting out, they're... Uh, they are, what was the quotation? You remember this. It was caught in a private uh, fundraising meeting. It was, you know, caught on an iPhone, essentially, in which he disparaged them and said, well, these people are just frustrated and they're clinging to their Bibles and their guns. And, you know, they, uh, they don't like, the, you know, they're anti-immigrant and this and that. And he said that about white people. I mean, you could go down the list. There are so many people. But I just played for you so many individuals, Democrats, who have said worse things than John Gruden has ever said in an email. And he has to resign. Joe Biden should be forced to resign. Stephen A. Smith should be forced to resign. Spike Lee should have no career. Obama should have no new Netflix deals enriching him to the tune of tens of millions of dollars. Ralph Northam should re resign immediately as the governor of Virginia. But these people say things. We see homophobia. 
We see misogyny from these people on the left time and time again, and there are no repercussions whatsoever. And so what this is meant to do, before I take a short break here and get into some other news, is this. John Gruden, this is meant to send a warning to the NFL ownership and coaches. The left has been trying to corrupt the NFL and make them, uh, you know, a social reengineering platform as well to force their agenda down our throats on national television and games with the black national anthem, using it to divide Americans further, to create a situation in which we can't even unite over sports anymore. And so they're saying, look, if you don't do as we say, if you don't embrace the new woke culture that we're forcing on the NFL, you could be John Gruden. We will find your emails. Because remember, John Gruden wasn't the subject of this. They were investigating the Washington football team and then discovered these emails and destroyed John Gruden. And so the message is this. Get woke or get destroyed. Go along with the leftist agenda. Do as we say. Conduct the NFL as we say. Or you, too, can become the next John Gruden. And we're seeing this silence of opposition, political opposition. And that's what this is really about in the NFL. It is sending a message to ownership to get on board with this agenda. If they want to bend the knee, if they want to sing the Black National Anthem, if they want to make the NFL every week, week in and week out, a place in which they, they continue to indoctrinate American citizens and change the cultural climate in this, Amer- in this country and destroy it, will get on board or get fired. The FBI has been instructed by Merrick Garland to target parents who express outrage or show up at these meetings and speak out against critical race theory. That's what this is about. It is about threatening people who want to exercise their First Amendment rights. And John Gruden is just the first. And you're going to see this reverberate in the NFL now. There will be no more opposition. There will be no Jerry Joneses or anyone else who is going to resist the takeover of the NFL because they're sending a message to everyone. No one is safe. No one is protected. Get on board or lose your career. This is Drew Allen, and I'll be right back. Before I get into these other important stories, I just want to say something else. You know, Gruden resigned because of a word that was deemed to be offensive years after he even said it. But in the NFL, you've got player after player who have done far worse, who actually afflicted pain and suffering on other individuals' lives. You have Kareem Hunt, the Browns running back, who in a video was caught, I believe, kicking his girlfriend. You've got Antonio Brown, of course, who had offense after offense, who, who, who is now playing, of course, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, with Tom Brady. You've got Deshaun Watson, who has sexual assault allegations against him. He is under investigation but continues to play. You know, these players, they get DUIs. They are convicted of assault, sexual assault, and all sorts and all manner of actual offenses that are criminal. 
and they continue to get paid and play football. But here we have John Gruden resigning because he used an offensive word in an email. That's what stands out to me, which is so sick about all of this. And I mentioned uh, a quotation by O'Callaghan. Now, he's a former American football offensive tackle, for clarification. Uh, He's not the first uh, NFL player to come out as gay. Uh, That was actually uh, Nasib. But they, of course, interviewed O'Callaghan, who has since come out, since he retired, uh, to comment on the situation. But anyway, I want to move on to some other issues here that are important as well. And and the, the theme of this episode, I believe is the eradication of the First Amendment right, of course. Uh, A media that is, well, 100% devoted to working with, in conjunction with the Democratic Party, to lie, create an alternate reality, and fundamentally transform this country. I want to first address Southwest Airlines. Now, I believe the Southwest Airlines debacle that was inflicted by the governments and, and Southwest Airlines complying with these vaccine mandates for employees, you know, the story started in Jacksonville, Florida, with canceled flights. And, of course, they tried to blame it on weather uh, and on any manner of things except for the vaccine mandates that were responsible. And, of course, they would, they would have us believe, but we're not stupid, that, uh, oh yeah, weather caused this. And yet Southwest Airlines was the only airline that was canceling flights uh, at, the, at the shocking number that they were. It wasn't affecting all the... This is, what a fascinating uh, climate change moment. How is it that only Southwest West Airlines is affected by the weather? But all these other companies, American Airlines, Delta, they aren't affected by the weather. Gee, imagine that. But I've got a story here from the Associated Press. Southwest cancels hundreds more flights and passengers stranded. Uh, This is actually today. Southwest Airlines canceled more than 350 flights Monday following a weekend of major disruptions that it blamed on bad weather and air traffic controller issues. The third straight day of canceled and delayed flights left passengers stranded and streaming and steaming, I should say, from California to the East Coast. The widespread disruptions began shortly after the Southwest Airlines Pilots Association, representing 9,000 pilots, asked a federal court on Friday to block the airline's order that all employees get vaccinated. The union argued that Southwest must negotiate over the issue because it could involve sick leave or disability if pilots have a reaction to the vaccine. And this is getting into all the the series I've been doing about the... uh, the uh, L.A. City firefighters that are going through this same problem. So in a video for employees, Southwest Chief Operating Officer Mike Vendevin said that despite a very aggressive hiring plan, we are still not where we want to be with staffing, especially pilots. The staffing shortage is leading to fewer flights. After massive delays this summer, Southwest trimmed its fall schedule. He said Southwest has already made significant cuts in its original schedules for November, December, and if we think we need to do more, we will. So, you know, it's amazing. On the one hand, they are actually acknowledging that the vaccine mandates are an issue, but then in the storyline as they progress, they continue to act as if this staffing shortage has nothing to do with the vaccine mandates. 
Meanwhile, the Federal Aviation Administration acknowledged delays in part of Florida on Friday, but pushed back against Southwest's air traffic control explanation. The FAA said Sunday that some airlines, quotation, some airlines were experiencing problems because of planes and crews being out of position. Southwest was the only airline to report such a large percentage of canceled and delayed flights over the weekend. And then they get into the sob story. You know, some passengers were, were frustrated not just by flight delays, but also the lack of a clear reason for them. Well, let me clarify for you. Concerned, frustrated passengers. It is the government and Southwest Airlines that are requiring vaccine mandates that are responsible. That's the clear reason for them. Okay, do you understand? My concern is we had no explanation, really, that was, I feel, very legitimate or believable, said Brian Gesh of Cedar Grove, Wisconsin, who was traveling through Reagan-Washington National Airport with his wife. I wonder how long Reagan-Washington National Airport will retain its name before it's changed. Just as as an aside here. Reagan was not woke enough. Uh, He must be destroyed just like Lincoln, just like Washington and the Founding Fathers. Erase history. But this guy, Brian, this Cedar Grove, Wisconsin traveler, he doubted that weather and air traffic controllers were the real issue. So we are frustrated and missing a day of work. Um, let's see. We go on in the article, and the AP writes, the White House has pushed airlines to adopt vaccine mandates because they are federal contractors. United Airlines was the first major U.S. carrier to announce a vaccination requirement. Southwest had remained silent even after President Joe Biden announced his order for federal contractors and large employers. Finally, last week, here you go, Southwest told employees they must be fully vaccinated by December 8th to keep their jobs. So there you go. But the media is pretending like it's weather-related. And what they're going to do, by the way, this is an important uh, moment of enlightenment because this is out of Saul and Liz Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. This is out of the communist playbook. They create a catastrophe. They create a problem. That is the left, the Democratic Party. They create a problem, and then they shift the blame elsewhere. They don't point the finger at themselves, and then they use that opportunity to seize more power and control. And so the reason there are shortages of flights on Southwest Airlines, I'm not sure why Southwest has the majority of patriots in America working for them, but I'm thankful for it. But... Uh, They're going to take this opportunity now, and they're going to not blame the mandates. They're going to say that these pilots are irresponsible, that they are responsible for these delays. They are causing these delays and destroying people's lives and making them late everywhere and, and making them frustrated and tired. But it's the vaccine mandates that are responsible for this. And I wouldn't be surprised if part of the motivation of all of this is to create a situation, a dire circumstance in which the federal government and the Democratic Party, one and the same, comes in and wants to nationalize things, nationalize health care, nationalize the airline industry, because they're creating a problem in which people aren't going to be safe. They're not going to have the ability to travel. But there's something else I want to address as well, and that's this. The reason I have opposed 
government intervention and bailouts for a long time is exactly what we're seeing today. When the government gives you taxpayer money to bail you out, you are beholden to the federal government. You lose your autonomy, just like a welfare state, right? Once you depend upon the government for your salvation, you lose your freedom. They own you. And this is why we should all oppose any of these bailouts in the future ever again. No one is too big to fail. Because what happens is, by the government intervening and bailing out these corporations, the corporations then work for the government. Because they depend upon the government for their viability. And that's one of the most dangerous things yet. And so here we have the media spinning the story about Southwest, blaming it on weather and everything else while they get their ducks in a row to then attack these Southwest employees who just want to exercise their freedom of choice, and soon they will be villainized as well. But nothing you see today is real. Did you see the, uh, did you see the video of Kamala Harris talking about space exploration with the, uh, the, the, the group of children? In that room, it was, it was also, by the way, worthy of a Razzie Award. I, I mean, this woman is the least likable person in America. Uh, I've never seen anything uh, to this degree of, uh, uh, of cringe. Watching Kamala Harris pretend to, to like children, pretend to... I mean, she's so uncomfortable in this situation. She's the type of person that you would never, ever entrust with holding your child. Because she just doesn't know how to do it. She has no empathy, sympathy. There's no motherly instincts in this woman whatsoever. She is cold. She is selfish. And she has not an ounce of love in her body. But uh, let me take one more short break here. And uh, when we get back, we're going to get into this story. Because Kamala Harris, it turns out, in this video, I'll play a little bit for you for context if you missed it. But these... Children she's in the room with, pretending to smile at and be loving towards, they were hired child actors. They hadn't gotten their big break in Hollywood yet, but they got their big break in the new Hollywood, which is, well, the White House, the federal government, the Democratic Party. So these children were actually hired for this video. Nothing you see is real. This is Drew Allen. I'll be right back. Well, this just broke. So before I play the Kamala Harris clip and then get into that story about, um, <laughs> well, that f- fictitious uh, storytelling uh, and explaining what that's about, in my opinion, uh, this broke with, um, with Jin Saki. She gave a press conference trying to explain away what's going on uh, with Southwest Airlines. I want you to hear the uh, propagandist-in-chief, Jin Saki. I know there was a little um, hubbub over the course of the last few days uh, about uh, Southwest Airlines. We now know that some of those claims were absolutely false and actually the issues were uh, completely unrelated to vaccine mandates. But again, what we've seen business to business across the country is this is the way to save lives, create more certainty. It's good for the economy and it's something we're looking for. Okay, so there she, she says it's good for the economy and yet the economy is crumbling under these vaccine mandates. Our cities are becoming less safe. Uh, You can go back and listen to my last episodes interviewing those L.A. City firefighters in which L.A. is prepared to fire half of their, roughly half of their fire department, which is going to, well, lives are going to be lost because there won't be firefighters to answer those 911 calls, for example. 
Uh, but here she is. Now, what's interesting about this is they are doubling down, doubling down on this effort, this propagandist effort to defend the vaccine mandates. Because what's happening in this country is just like what happened with critical race theory. The majority of Americans are realizing that this is insane. So when the parents fought back against critical race theory and the left began to lose that battle to indoctrinate our children to inject racism into their DNA, what did they do? Well, they went to the FBI, they went to Merrick Garland, the attorney general, and the teachers association got the attorney general to then weaponize the FBI to silence the voices of dissent against their agenda, critical race theory. So now you have the same thing. You have NBA players who have spoken out against the vaccine mandates. You have the LA City firefighters. And now you have Southwest Airlines making a stand. And they're losing, losing the battle. And so here's Jen Psaki lying through her teeth saying that the vaccine mandates aren't harming the economy, they're good for the economy, and she is deflecting, acting as if these vaccine mandates are not responsible for these uh, flight cancellations, when in fact, they are directly responsible for it. So this is what they do. And these, these Southwest Airlines pilots, by the way, are absolute patriots. And this is... This is a winning system for us. If you go back to the civil rights movement, right, pre-1964, we had segregation, the law of the land. Blacks could not eat in white dining establishments. They had to ride in the back of the bus. They had to drink at different water fountains, use different restrooms, and it was amoral. But what happened? The people rose up, both black Americans and white Americans, and they lost control of the narrative. You know, morality and truth began to prevail. And that's what's happening here today. Truth and morality are beginning to prevail. And so Jin Psaki and the Democrats don't want to lose control of the narrative. So they will do anything and say anything they can to dissuade the American people from believing the truth that these vaccine mandates on principle, on constitutionality, on morality are wrong. And so she's continuing to lie and say that vaccine mandates are good for the economy, even though we see in real time evidence that they're crippling the travel industry, for example. But um, now I want to play a little bit of this clip of um, uh, the least likable woman in America, the coldest woman in America, the ugliest uh, woman in America in terms of... uh, what's inside her brain and heart of Kamala Harris, right? Kamala Harris, if you, 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 I just have to play this for you to lead into it because I can't comment and tell, the, tell you this story without you hearing and feeling the, well, the cringe that I felt and millions of Americans felt upon hearing this. So here is Kamala Harris uh, creating this, uh, uh, what Lauren Boebert, Representative Lauren Boebert calls a, a cinematic masterpiece. So here she is. I just love the idea of exploring the unknown. And then there's other things that we just haven't figured out or discovered yet. To think about so much that's out there that we still have to learn. 
I kind of love that. I love that. And so I'm very excited about the Space Council. We're going to learn so much um, as we increasingly, I think, are curious and interested in the potential for... So I'm going to stop it there. Now, in this video, you see a black girl, an Asian boy, and a white girl trying to cover all of the, uh, you know, hit all of the, um, uh, what do we call those things? Uh, you know, you have a, man, I'm forgetting. I'm losing my brain here like Joe Biden. Um, but, you know, they're trying to hit all the different marks there, right? Uh, in your brains, you're probably thinking, true, the word is this. Well, it, I wish you could speak through this microphone and tell me, but for the for the moment, I, I forget. But, you know, uh, they're, tr they're trying to hit, you know, all the points here. You've got a diverse group of children here listening to Kamala Harris, who's gesticulating wildly in her blue blazer, trying to feign like she has some sort of compassion and make her likable. Now, you know what's interesting? As I watch this, this is interesting because Kamala Harris, of course, you know, she's supposed to be the border czar. She's taken all, on all these supposed responsibilities of the president of the United States to, you know, examine and study the root cause of our illegal immigration. And, and she, of course, is not doing any of those things. But I think that as the, the, the Biden administration is seeing their tanking approval and swallowing the the, the pill of reality that they're going to get shellacked in the 2022 midterms. Um, and I think it's becoming clear, too, that Joe Biden, he will not be capable of running for president and reelection in 2024, both because of his lack of approval and people who despise him as a majority of this country, and also because he won't be able physically or mentally. He's already not physically or mentally capable, but to do another campaign to run for re-election, there's no way uh, two and a half years from now he can, he can undertake that endeavor. And so I think what they're trying to do here, everyone knows that Kamala Harris is unlikable. No one likes her. Remember, when she was running for the uh, nomination, she was the first person to drop out. She, she dropped out as soon as she entered. And no one liked her then, and they don't like her now. And so what they're trying to do here is change her image. They're trying to save, um, well, to save their own party. Because I think what could happen in 2024, this is just my opinion, I think we could see a relatively unprecedented situation in which we don't have either the, uh, the current president or the vice president running for re-election. I think that Kamala Harris... In their minds, and things can change day to day, obviously we're a long ways from there, but I think in their minds, they've ex you know accepted the reality that Kamala Harris might have to be their presidential nominee instead of Joe Biden. But she's, in many ways, worse than Joe Biden. Uh, they can't spin her as a moderate. They can't pretend that she's Uncle Joe, old Alzheimer victim, have sympathy for her. And so they're trying to make her likable now in preparation for you know, a vast array of circumstances, one of which could be that Kamala Harris runs as the presidential candidate in 2024. And so as it stands, no one likes her. So now we have these videos coming out in which they are um, uh, trying to, to, to change her image and convince the American people that she is something that she is not compassionate and likable. But I've got a story from the New York Post here to explain this video. This is the video that you just heard. A video meant to sell children on the wonders of space exploration featured Vice President Kamala Harris giving a memorably loopy performance alongside a quintet 
of child actors who auditioned for their roles. I kid you not. They auditioned for these roles. All five of them are actors. Carlo Bernardino, whose 13-year-old son, Trevor, was one of the youngsters taking part, told the Washington Examiner. He's a child actor. He's been trying to do this type of thing for a while. And so he has a manager and an agent in L.A., and they send him castings. So Trevor Bernardino told KSBW that he was asked to submit a monologue about a topic he is passionate about, passionate about, as well as three questions he wanted to ask a world leader. The next step was a virtual interview. So this is a full Hollywood production. This is, again, I mean, the, the, the saying is nothing you see is real and nothing could be more true. You have Joe Biden using a set across from the White House that looks like the White House. When he could use the real White House, he's using a set so he can, you know, read his teleprompter without giving it away to pretend that he is mentally capable enough to even give a two-minute address when he's reading. So you have a fake White House set, and now you have Kamala Harris in a fake video in which they hired child actors, had them audition to be in this room with her to pretend that she is likable. The Democratic Party is in ruins. In ruins. Uh, This is Drew Allen, and I'll be right back. Well, I, uh, I spoke to my mother the other day, and um, she informed me that in Texas, where they live, uh, in the Dallas area, that they are witnessing this, well, the ramifications of this backlog, this supply chain disaster in which ships that uh, deliver supplies, goods, electronics, toilet paper, all of it, that typically harbor... Uh, well, typically, pardon me here, they typically dock at the harbors along the California coast, Long Beach, California, for example, being the predominant one. Well, she's seen the ramifications in Texas. Uh, The shelves are barren, just like we saw when there weren't supplies available uh, in the early days of this scamdemic, I mean, pandemic, um, but, but it's interesting to note because back then, uh, because of the shutdowns, we had shortages. Now we have shortages because there are so many supplies coming that they can't even dock fast enough to get them onto the mainland and into our grocery stores and retail shops across this country. And this is not surprising. You've got, I think, the... the, the if I remember correctly, as of, I think, a week, well, a few days ago, back on Sunday, there were an estimated 500,000 shipping containers who were sitting on cargo ships off the uh, Southern California coast. Ports in Los Angeles and Long Beach, I mean, they've broken records for the number of cargo ships waiting to dock. And, you know, this is everything from sneakers, toilet paper, toys, as we said, electronics. And so the administration now is just telling us, well, this is how it's going to be. They're not solution-oriented, mind you. They're just telling you, well, just, just expect shortages. Expect that you can't buy anything for your children at Christmas time. Uh, these disruptions and temporary sh- 
you know, these shutdowns, higher prices, inflation, just get used to it. Like Obama said, remember, this is the new normal, the new normal. We're just supposed to accept this reality. The Democratic Party can't solve anything. But what has happened? Ron DeSantis has come along and offered a brilliant solution. So brilliant and so common sense that, of course, it would never enter the minds of Democrats. What is his solution? Well, California is not the only coast. California is not the only place in the uh, contiguous United States of America that ships could potentially bring their goods. So if you have these 500,000 plus ships who can't get to the harbor and dock and unload, well, how about we spread it around? So he's invited them to Florida. Florida. Their seaports are the solution to ensure that this cargo shipping logjam doesn't become, I guess, the Grinch that stole Christmas, right? And so um, that is an obvious solution to this. But I want to point out something else interesting because while... Let's just take the Democrats at their word here. Oh, there's nothing we can do. Just get used to the fact that you don't have goods and services to buy this Christmas season. Who else is affected by this? Let's think for a moment. It's not you and me. We can. It's true. Our children, our families, we can do without buying that new TV. We can do without buying the new teddy bear. Uh, We could even, you know, figure out a solution to the toilet paper crisis as we did before. But who can't get out from under this? Who is depending upon those sales for survival? Well, small businesses. Businesses that depend upon the Christmas season. Businesses that depend upon American consumerism to make their livings. Now, they have already been assaulted and nearly destroyed. Many have been destroyed and haven't come back after these shutdowns and this pandemic. So the middle class... And the small business owner were assaulted by the lockdowns. They were the ones under attack. And now guess who's under attack again? Those that were able to stand and get back up on their feet, well, they're going to be forced back onto their knees and put out of business again because of this. You have to look at everything through the context of who the Democratic Party is today. Their identity is not socialist. It is Marxist and totalitarian. Now, these totalitarian regimes that foment hatred and division, that pit one class of citizenry against the other, do it for their own political gain. The middle class is a robust class in America. It's that class under which people constantly go through. They either go through the middle class and get to the upper class, or they go back down to the lower class, but the middle class is the strongest base in America. This is rural America. This is the majority of American citizens. They're not rich, they're not poor, they're middle class. And so what the Democratic Party and totalitarian communist regimes do is they eradicate the middle class. They create a permanent ruling class and a permanent underclass that is dependent upon the government for their survival welfare. They do not believe anymore in their own ability to succeed. In fact, the government creates a situation in which they cannot succeed. And so you have a ruling elite and a lower class, and that's it. Top-down, totalitarian rule. And so the objective of this 
Democrat Party, as it stands today, is to eradicate the middle class. And that's what this is really going to do come Christmas season. As we move forward, those of us private citizens, well, we might be okay doing with less, but these businesses depend upon what? Our dollars for survival. And so if they can't fill their shelves and they can't, they don't have any goods to sell us, they're not going to be able to pay their rent. They're not going to be able to uh, employ their employees and they're going to go out of business. And we're going to have a nightmare scenario that is going to further decimate the middle class and move us closer towards this totalitarian utopian vision for America that's actually dystopian in which you have haves and have-nots and that's it. So that's what I'm actually concerned about here. But here's, you know, Governor DeSantis presenting an obvious solution. Now, why did the Democratic Party not think of that, of course? Well, because that would solve a problem. And as we've talked about, if you've listened to me before, the Democratic Party, fundamentally, the way they are structured, they're not in the business of solving problems. They're in the business of creating problems so that they can present themselves as the problem solvers. They never solve it, but there always have to be problems so that they can come to the American people and say, vote for us to solve this. If there weren't problems, if there wasn't racial strife, if there wasn't inequality, if there weren't these shortages, if there wasn't hatred, well, they couldn't run and say, we're the party of love. We're the party to solve this and that. But we know that the Democrat Party never solves anything. All right, this is Drew Allen. I'll be right back. Well, like clockwork, like a gift from above, from God, my creator himself, uh, I have, well, an article here. There's audio. I'm not going to play it because I'm tired of hearing the villain's uh, voice. That would be Jin Psaki. So Jin Psaki's come out and she has said, I quote, the president wants to make fundamental change in our economy. And he feels coming out of the pandemic is exactly the time to do that. Let no crisis go to waste, right? If we don't do it now, she says, if we don't address the cost of childcare, if we don't address the climate crisis, if we don't ensure that universal pre-K is a reality now, we're not going to have the same opportunity to do it for some time. I don't know what else to tell the American people. You have her open about it, not hiding it, not shy about it. This pandemic has been used, weaponized by these politicians, namely the Democrat Party, to enact their Marxist agenda and radically transform America beyond repair, beyond recognition, beyond salvation. There you have it. All of this under the guise of the crisis. That is why the media has continued to scare Americans. It's the reason they have used the pandemic to divide Americans. The reason they've used the pandemic to create new subgroups of people, the vaccinated, the unvaccinated, to create hatred and animosity. Why they, they continue to create a false need for this transformation. Because if everything was going swimmingly, 
there would be no argument they could make to say, hey, let's try something new. And so that's what we're up against. I, I, uh, spoke, to, I spoke to a woman who's a, a teacher out here in the California area, and she informed me that the teachers, uh, in a separation from the union, of course, and what they want, the teachers are standing up against this COVID tyranny as well. The mass mandates, the vaccine mandates. And by the way, do you know that Gavin Newsom, Gavin Newsom, who is requiring vaccine mandates for children aged 12 and under to attend school, while his own children who are in that age range have not been vaccinated? Um, I'm looking it up right now, and we're going to close out with this, I think. Uh, here we go. Fox News. One of Newsom's kids lacks vaccine despite mandate, report says. California Governor Gavin Newsom last week signed a requirement. Here, here's what I'm talking about. For all eligible students to receive the COVID-19 vaccine, even as his own daughter has yet to receive the shot. Newsom announced on October 1st that all students and school staff must be vaccinated by January 2022, the first statewide mandate in the country. However, he did reveal that his own daughter, 12 years old, has yet to receive the vaccine. Now, what does the Newsom spokesperson say in defense of this? Well, the governor's daughter only recently turned 12. She has an appointment to be vaccinated in a manner of days. Newsom initially, by the way, told the Times that his daughter had a series of other shots to get first. What else does he say? Two of Newsom's children, by the way, who were not identified, tested positive for COVID-19. And, um, you know, this just goes back to his French laundry scene where he mandated masking between bites and... uh, banned indoor dining, and then he dined maskless indoors with 10 or 12 of his close friends or political cronies, whoever they were. And we had uh, recently uh, Rashida Tlaib, who admitted on camera that the only reason she had a mask on uh, was because some Republican was there who was filming her, so she had to do it for political purposes. This is all a scam, and we all have to fight back against this. It's happening. It's spreading forth throughout this country like wildfire. Uh, And we have these brave patriots with Southwest Airlines, the firefighters of L.A. City. And this is why, of course, they're trying to shut down our voices. That's why we have uh, the Facebook fake whistleblower who came forward to give some kind of justification to silence our voices because the truth is powerful, and that's what we do here. You know, I share these stories that are pertinent with you, to keep you, you informed and also myself because the truth is a powerful weapon. You listen to what I've said on this, this program, which is all fact-based. Yes, I have a, my opinion about it, but my opinion is correct. 99.987% of the time. Um, but the truth is spreading. And that's the real vaccine against, well, the greatest pandemic, which is the pandemic of tyranny and totalitarianism. And so they're trying to stop this. It's why Jinsaki is out there lying, saying that the Southwest Airlines flight delays don't have to do with vaccine mandates because there's a movement underway that we haven't seen in a long time and it's necessary and it's coming from the ground up. 
upset parents, patriots, who love this country and see what the Democratic Party is doing to this nation. And so they want to stomp this out. And to stomp us out, they have to stomp our voices out. They have to instill fear in us to create repercussions for speaking out. John Gruden, same thing. Everywhere we go, we're facing a battle. In our workplaces, at home, in football stadiums, in NFL locker rooms, everywhere we are under attack by the Marxist left. John Gruden is one man. He doesn't have an organization behind him, apparently. But there's power in numbers. Always remember that. And we've got to continue to grow our numbers and stand up together. Because not until... You know, the thing about Southwest, for example, is important, and L.A. City firefighters. You know, it's horrible that they're in the situation they're in, but they understand that they have a unique opportunity because they're in that position, right? The American people are affected and hurt. Their lives are interrupted by these canceled flights, by the lack of response from paramedics. And it's just a reality that human beings don't really get involved and interested and activated to do anything unless it affects, until it affects them directly. Otherwise, we sit silently and say, well, I'm not going to enter this fight because it's not affecting me. And so that's what we have to do in these battlefields where we have numbers. So Southwest, these brave pilots, they're fighting back and it's affecting people. And you can't hide the truth forever. The L.A. City firefighters, 800 plus strong, they're fighting back. It's going to affect people's lives in L.A. City. And that's going to have an impact. And that's what the Democrats understand. And that's why they're fighting to silence our voices, force these mandates, and, uh, and use these, these uh, corporations to pressure, to force compliance. But we won't comply. Not here, not on this show. Not me, not ever. Um... But anyway, this is Duran. We run out of time today. Um, but as we say, until next time.